Once upon a time, in Germany, there was a lady by the name of Maria Brunner, and she worked to support her family of five while her husband was unemployed for a couple of years. And while she was at work, her husband liked to drive around town and go run errands and do things. And while he was doing that, he ran up $5,000 worth of parking tickets on her car. And she didn't have $5,000, so she had a couple of options. One, she could go to jail for three months, or she could scrape and borrow and steal, do whatever she could do to try to get together $5,000 to pay off these tickets. And so she thought... In jail, I get three hot meals prepared for me every day. In jail, I get a hot shower every day. In jail, there are no kids. When the police came to arrest her, uh, she thanked them over and over again, saying, Thank you so much. I needed a break. All right, I'm not going to ask you how many of you would actually go to jail for three months, but how many of you would think about it? Okay? It would at least cross your mind. Okay, how many of you adults now repent for every nap that you didn't want to take as a kid? Okay? How many of you, if you were listing out the things that you need most in your life right now, would put real, genuine rest somewhere near the top of your list? All right? Yeah, some, you can put your hands down now, okay? I, I understand, that's fine. Uh, in fact, judging by the expressions I see often from here Sunday morning, I think many of you choose this period of time in your week in order to try and achieve some of that goal of getting more rest. You are either practicing deep meditation and prayer, maybe you're working on your Sabbath theology, I don't know what it is. Uh, we're going to come back to that. All right, a few weeks ago, we started a series on the book of Hebrews. Uh, we're not talking about every single text in the book of Hebrews. We're kind of hitting some of the qualities of discipleship that we find in this book of Hebrews. What does it really mean for us to follow Jesus? All right, and a few weeks ago, we talked about the first step always in following Jesus. If you really want to know your Lord, it always begins by listening to God. Okay, are we really listening to the voice of Jesus or are we kind of just living day to day, doing our own I am Lord thing instead of really listening to God? If we want to keep growing, we have to listen. Okay, then last week we talked about how tragic it is when we don't listen, because by not listening to God, inevitably we will drift away in our faith. Okay, people don't often wake up one day and decide, you know what, I'm going to abandon my relationship with God today. Okay, that's not what happens. What happens is, over time, we aren't listening right to the Lord, and so we start drifting in our faith, and at some point, months or years down the line, we will open up our eyes and realize, I am much farther from God, I am much farther from the kingdom than I ever thought possible. If we don't listen carefully, if we're not aware of it, we will drift away in our relationship with God. Okay, to be honest with you, I didn't really like last week's sermon uh, because it wasn't very encouraging, okay? but I think it was necessary because we also talked about some of the, the consequences, the eternal consequences that happen if we are not careful and we drift away from God in our faith. All right, for step three of discipleship, we get to a much more pleasant topic. Because the author of Hebrews doesn't just warn us with warnings of hellfire and brimstone, but he also talks about the wonderful rewards that come with faith. There's great privileges associated with being followers of Jesus Christ. 
Now, let's go to chapter 4, and I know we're kind of jumping into the middle of his argument, but notice chapter 4, verse 6. He says, Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. Okay, I know we're jumping in the middle of the argument, but follow what he's saying here. Okay, God promised at Mount Sinai, okay, when the people all left Egypt, right? They left Pharaoh and all the ten plagues. They go to Mount Sinai, and God promises through Moses, you will find rest in the promised land. Okay, but what happened to that first people, the people who left Egypt, the people that watched all the plagues happen? Did they get to find rest in the promised land? Okay, no. Why not? Because they didn't listen to God. Okay, so God says rest is coming. Okay, so their next generation, the kids of those people, the ones who did get to enter the promised land, the ones Joshua was leading, did they get to find lasting rest? No, because how long did they listen to God? Okay, for about 20 minutes, right? All right, what about the next generation and the next generation and the next generation? Have the people of God ever found lasting rest as you read through the whole history of Israel? No. Right, so the point that's happening here in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 4 is, is the author is saying the promise of rest still stands. Right, verse 9 is where this entire passage is building. Notice what he says. He says, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from His. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Okay, the first reward of our faith, the first thing that we get to hold on to, the first promise that God gives to us saying this is worth it more than anything else in your life is God gives us a promise of rest. If we will listen to God, if we will be disciples of Jesus, we get true rest, Sabbath rest. Okay, in this letter, there are several images he uses to describe this rest. In chapter 11, he tells us we have a homeland, we have a place of peace. In chapters 12 and 13, he'll talk about a city and a kingdom that we get as disciples of God. If we will embrace the life of faith, we get a rest, a peace, a shalom that the world cannot understand. Okay, do you want to experience real contentment in your life? It doesn't come by chasing more money or more pleasure. It comes by being a disciple of Jesus. Okay, why is Christianity worth my soul, my life, my all? Okay, because it's the one place we can find true rest. All right, statistics are hard to come by, uh, but about one in five Americans carry what doctors call an unhealthy level of anxiety. Okay, two in five of us aren't getting enough sleep. Right, in the church, we are certainly not immune from that. 
I know that I've told you several times, one of my struggles is that I'm a worrier, right? Where are my worriers at? You are worriers, okay? Worry too much, right? I worry about my kids. I worry about my wife. I worry about you. I worry about my country. I worry about the grass in my yard and the roof on my house. Okay, I worry that I worry too much, right? I'm a worrier. Okay, and part of our problem for us is that we read passages like this one in Hebrews chapter 4, and we think that it's all about heaven. Okay, as if the way I'm supposed to live my life is I'm supposed to worry about everything that's going on right now, and I've got all these balls up in the air, and I'm trying to keep everything going, so I've got to worry about everything, but it's okay because I know that at the end of my life, I have the promise that when I die, I get to go to heaven and be with God for all of eternity. Okay, you caught all that, right? Good. All right, so we think that what happens is we live this life, there's highs and there's lows, but don't worry about what happens because there is this future rest, and we're all just looking forward to that rest someday way up in the sky. Okay, that is not what Hebrews is talking about. All right, Hebrews is talking about heaven, but he's not just talking about a future rest. Notice that all of these verbs here are in the present tense. He says, today there is a rest available to you and I. Today we can find rest. There is now a rest available for disciples of Jesus Christ. It is a now and a not yet. We have rest available to us now. As followers of Jesus, we should experience that shalom now. Okay, but how many of us think we could use a little more peace in our lives? Okay, we're supposed to have a peace that transcends understanding. That means it doesn't really matter what my external circumstances are. I can have that peace. I can experience that rest now if I'm truly walking with my Lord. All right, so here's the challenge. If you're a worrier like me, or if you just carry too much anxiety in general, here's my question for you. What do you need to simplify in your life so that you can focus on what really matters and embrace the peace that God is offering to you today? Later in this letter, um, the author of Hebrews will talk about how some resist even to the point of having to start shedding their blood And yet they still can have peace that he describes in chapter 4. What does it look like for us to have our lives so focused on the things that really matter that it doesn't matter what our external circumstances are, we can have peace? What do you need to simplify in your life to embrace the peace God's offering? All right, that's number one. Number two. If the first reward of our faith is rest, I think the second reward of our faith is confidence. All right, look at chapter 12, starting at verse 18. Again, I'm jumping into the middle of a story. 12, 18. He says, You have not come to a mountain that can be touched, and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. Okay, we talked about this the other day. When God first appeared back in Exodus to Moses on Mount Sinai, the Israelites' reaction was terror. 
hey, God had commanded that when they got to Mount Sinai, no one was supposed to go touch the mountain except Moses and Joshua who could go up. But that command was completely unnecessary because when God showed up on the mountain, when the fire started, when the lightning flashed, the thunder rumbled and the ground itself shook, nobody wanted to go anywhere near that mountain. The presence of God was terrifying. Okay, the next section of Hebrews is my favorite part of this entire letter. This is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. If we would just believe this next paragraph, it would change everything about our lives. Okay, because Hebrews tells us our fear has turned into confidence because of Jesus. Notice starting in verse 22. He says, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word, in the blood of Abel. Right, when I was about nine years old, uh, I played Little League Baseball, as many little boys did when they were little boys. Uh, and what happened when I was nine years old, I was a pretty good batter. Uh, often I was a leadoff batter because I couldn't hit the ball very far, but I got on base a lot. Um, and so that makes her a fairly good leadoff batter. Okay, when I was nine years old, I remember this quite vividly. I was standing in the box getting ready to hit a ball. Uh, and the guy that was pitching that day was one of the hardest throwing nine-year-olds the world has ever seen. Okay, he set records, I'm sure. Okay, but he wasn't very accurate. Okay, and as I was standing there ready to, ready to take my pitch, I caught a fastball right here. Okay, right about on your kidney, uh, right in that soft spot where there's no bones, right? Okay, and it hurt. Um, it was a few minutes before I could get up because I was just on the ground immediately, okay? Um, I didn't hit again the rest of that day. Next game, I went and played a, as a batter. Um, I stood in the batter's box, and when the pitch came, instead of stepping into the pitch like you're supposed to, I did this and stepped away from the batter's box, away from the plate, right? Why? I was scared, okay? As any sensible nine-year-old who has hard things being thrown at him would be, right? Okay, now... How good of a hitter do you think I was stepping like this instead of stepping into the pitch? If you know anything about baseball, you can't hit a ball if you're doing this, right? Uh, I went from being a pretty good batter to not hitting anything for several weeks. Okay, much to the chagrin of my coach and my father who kept telling me, you got to step into it, you got to step into it, you got to step into it. Okay? How good can you be at a sport if you're playing with no confidence? How good will you be at any venture in life if you're doing it from a place of fear? You'll never do it. Every athlete will tell you, you have to play with confidence. Everything you do in this life, if you want to do it well, you've got to go into it with confidence. Fear will always incapacitate you. The promise of Hebrews chapter 12 is that because of Jesus, because we are his disciples, that when we come before God, we don't have to be afraid. We approach God with confidence. We're not like those first Israelites who are quaking in fear at the bottom of Mount Sinai. We come to Mount Zion. And the part that most blows me away is verse 22. He says, when we approach God, we don't go by ourselves. 
When we come before God, we do it with thousands upon thousands of angels gathered together in joyful assembly. When we stand before God, we are perfect because we have been washed by the blood of Jesus. Now, here's why this is such an important text to both the church that first heard it and to us. Okay, this is important because it is easy for us to get discouraged when we come to church and all we see is kind of the same old thing week after week. Okay, you wake up Sunday morning and you think, do I really need to go sit through another sermon? I mean, we've heard this before, right? I've taken communion every week for the last 20 years. Do I really need to go and take communion one more time? Okay, I know the songs that we're going to sing. I've sang them all before. Do I really need to go and sing those songs yet again? Same thing we've been doing week after week after week. Does it really matter? Right, and you think about the church uh, that Hebrews was written to. It was a discouraged church. It was a dwindling group. If you remember a few weeks ago, I showed you the, the curve that's the life cycle of a church. Right, and you start off on the life cycle and you're very excited about what's going on and you're on fire. Over time, you kind of plateau and you're just going through the motions. Eventually, you're declining and sort of fading away. Okay, this is a church in Hebrews that's really kind of hitting their plateau, starting their slide down. Some people have already started giving up meeting together with the group because does it really matter? Are we really accomplishing anything? Can you think about this church in Hebrews? We're probably talking about 20 people sitting in someone's living room somewhere. Hey, they can look up and down the street around them, see all these pagan temples attracting thousands of people, and they think, does it really matter that we go meet with a couple of families sitting in a house somewhere, sing a few songs, take our communion, say our prayers? Are we doing anything? Does it even matter? And Hebrew says, if only you knew. If only you could see. If only God would open your eyes and you could see the thousands upon thousands of angels worshiping with you. If only you could see the throne room of God in which you are really worshiping. If only you could see the presence of God that is all around you. If only you could see the truth. You would never question how important it is what you're doing. The call of Hebrews 12 is, please God, give us eyes to see. If we ever want to avoid the typical life cycle of a church, in which we start off excited and then slowly sort of trail off, if we want to avoid that, then it means understanding just how important it is what we're doing. Okay, notice how he finishes this section. Notice starting in verse 28. Therefore, Since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. All right, here's my last question for us this morning, and we can be done. That is that when we worship God, do we do so with reverence and awe? When we worship, would we describe our worship as reverence and awe. All right, let me ask. What are the most annoying things that people do in a movie theater? 
On their phones, yes. Several of you can hold yours up because you're on your phone, right? Uh, What else? Talking, yes. Whether it's talking to their neighbor or talking to the actors on the screen who can't hear you, right? Talking. Also bothers me when people come in late, right? You're in the middle of it. You're getting into the opening scene. You're getting into the moment. And then what happens? Doors open. Lights flood in as people are coming in late, right? Okay, really what annoys me at a movie theater is anything that pulls me out of the moment, that pulls me out of what I'm there to experience. Okay, you see where I'm going with this? All right, now here's what I'm not saying. All right, I am all for your kid making a disturbance in church, right? My kids make lots of disturbances in church. In fact, the only, one of the few times that Jesus ever gets upset with people is when the adults try to make the little kids shut up, all right? That's not what I'm talking about. Okay? I'm also not interested in us being straight-laced and stuffy. Okay? We should laugh together. Okay? I don't want us to be a suit-and-tie kind of church where you feel like you're out of place if you're not in your three-piece suit. Okay? That's not what I'm talking about. Okay? What I am saying is that we should come to church with an expectation that we are meeting in the presence of the living God. We should take what we do here very seriously because what we do here matters. What we do in worship is more important than anything else that we have going on in our daily lives, and so we should act like it. Okay, is the attitude that we bring with us to worship one of reverence and awe? Because I think if it is, then we'll find that one of the rewards of our faith is an unshakable confidence. Okay, we've only talked about a couple of things this morning that are great pleasures that we have because of faith. Uh, there's many more things that Scripture says that we receive as gifts from Jesus because of our walk with Him. Um, and so this morning as we close, if you don't know what it really means to walk with Jesus, we would invite you to sit down and study with us. Study with me, one of our elders. We've got several people here who would love to sit down and open Scripture with you and study what it means to walk as a disciple of Jesus Christ. It is the most important thing you could ever do with your life. At this time in our service, we're going to sing an invitation song. Uh, During the singing of this song, we as the church want to be here for you. I will be down front. One of our shepherds will be down front. We would love to talk with you or study with you about anything that's going on in your life. This is a time where we as the church are here for you. Before we sing that song, I'd like to close us with a word of blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace. Come now while we stand and sing.